Well, good morning, everyone. I realize I didn't introduce myself, but I haven't had a chance to meet you. My name is Michael Atmar. I serve as one of the pastors here, and um, I guess I'll introduce myself this way. I don't know about you, but I am very sad that the Olympics are coming to an end. Um, as you may know, the closing ceremonies, I guess, will be televised tonight. They've already happened. That's been a hard thing for me this time around, where you get all the updates before the events happen. Um, that's another conversation. But, uh, but my wife, Erin, and I love watching the Olympics. We love watching the trials. I married a runner, and so she can kind of explain what's happening in all the track races and like when they're going to, what the race strategy is. And it's been a bonding experience for us. We've had a lot of fun. And one of the things I love about the Olympics is just watching so many different types of sports, sports that I never watch any other time of year. And it's fun to kind of watch and see how uh, every, every sport requires a slightly different type of athlete. There's some sports where you need speed, others where you really need power, sometimes you need endurance, it just depends on what you're watching. But there's one skill set that is pretty common across any sport involving a field or a court, particularly where there's a ball involved, you have to be able to change direction. And for someone built like me, that's a, that's a skill that I just don't have. Like that's a very hard thing for me. I'm kind of like tall and lanky and it takes me a couple steps to change direction. But I love sports where you have to change direction. And so I've always been fascinated by watching athletes that can just stop on a dime and can turn and explode in the other direction. Like how do they do that? That's amazing. Um, and, and so we've had so much fun watching the Olympics. I've been thinking about changing direction. And I want us to see that I tell you all of that because we're in a passage about changing direction. Jonah chapter 3, there's going to be a lot of turning going on here. Um, and, and we've been in a study through this book of Jonah, and we framed it this way. Jonah is about your journey and my journey into God's missionary heart. Just like Jonah's been on a journey into God's missionary heart, the book of Jonah beckons the reader to be invited into this to find your heart in this story, to see where you have run away from God's calling on your life, from proclaiming the message that He's given you to proclaim in the same way that Jonah did, and to experience His mercy and His grace and to be sent to go as His messenger. We find ourselves in this story. And so we are going to see today in the book of Jonah that our journey into God's missionary heart is going to involve a lot of turning. We're going to see the power of turning in Jonah chapter 3, first beginning with the heart of the messenger. The messenger has to turn. But also, it's embedded in the very message that he's proclaiming. It's a message about turning. And finally, what we're going to see is this turning happens in the hearts of these hearers who are ready to respond to God's message. So come with me on this journey through Jonah chapter 3 as we see the powerful turning that takes place, beginning in the heart of the messenger, embedded in the message that's proclaimed, and finally in the hearts of the hearers of the message. Look back with me, if you will, at Jonah chapter 2, starting in verse 10. I want us to see the context here. Let's remember the journey that Jonah's been on. It says this, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land chapter 3 verse 1 then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying arise go to Nineveh that great city and call out against it the message that I tell you so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh 
according to the word of the Lord. Let's pause there for a second. I want us to see in chapter 3, verse 1, I want us to not move too quickly past this phrase the second time. Did you catch that? The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The Lord is a God of fresh starts and new beginnings. Some of us need to hear that this morning. That God is the God of fresh starts and new beginnings. He is so patient with Jonah. Do you feel this? And he's so patient with you and me. What should have happened in this story is Jonah should have drowned in the water. And then Jonah probably thought he was going to die as soon as he got swallowed by a fish. I mean, can you imagine that? Whatever intellectual hurdles you're having to jump over as you think about this story, I just want us to picture Jonah gets thrown overboard in a tumultuous ocean with huge billows and waves crashing over him. He could not swim like the Olympic swimmers. He thought he was going to die for sure as soon as he hits the water. And then this giant fish engulfs Jonah and and now he's like well now I know I'm gonna die and somehow God sovereign over his creation has this fish go on a fast of his own for a couple days and then spit Jonah out on the dry land do you see the relentless heart of God do you see his mercy his father heart he takes all the time that's needed on his child he only needs he's only gonna need one verse to call the Ninevites to repentance. This is the only chapter about the Ninevites. The rest of this book is God dealing with Jonah. And I want us to see that he is a God of fresh starts and new beginnings. It's not until we experience his patience and his mercy towards us that we're going to be ready to be his messenger. If you think about it this way, in Jonah chapter 1 and 2, Jonah is acting out what happens with the younger brother in Jesus' story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. Jonah runs away from the will of, of his father. And he makes a mess of his life. He's in the lowest place. He's in the pigsty. He's actually in the belly of a fish. And it smells just as bad, I'm sure. I mean, can you imagine how Jonah smelled when he's walking into Nineveh? That combination of like the fishy smell and vomit. Not very pleasant. And so Jonah's in this low place. And all of us, if we're honest, we know what that smells like, right? We've been there. Jonah finally gets downwind of himself and realizes, I am in need of the mercy of God. Apart from God's intervening grace in my life, I am going to die right here. And he finally comes to this place of praying, which Tyler led us through beautifully last week. And in chapter 2, verse 9, he says, Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's not until you come to this place. It's not until you, like the younger brother in Jesus' story of the prodigal son, come to your senses and realize that life with your father is so much better than anything you could chase in this world. Because that younger brother chased it hard and came up empty. And he finally came back. And you remember the story? The father is waiting for him. He's craning his neck. He's looking on the horizon. He sees his son. The heart of the Father is, return as far as you can. I'm going to meet you the rest of the way. He comes for his boy and wraps him up. He's moved with compassion. He puts the best robe on him. He says, this is my son. He was dead and he is alive. Jonah has experienced this mercy and this grace. He has come to this place of prayer. And now he's ready to proclaim. 
Brothers and sisters, this is why each and every week we gather and we rehearse the story of the Gospel. We remember who God is, that He is holy. We remember who we are, that all of us have sinned and turned away from Him. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We remember the gracious good news of His assurance of pardon because of what Jesus has accomplished for us and we're sent out of here through the benediction. We rehearse this story. It's why we have seasons where corporately we're calling out to the Lord in fasting and prayer because we know that we'll never be able to embody and declare God's redemptive story unless we first remember where He has brought us from. You see, there is no chapter 3 without chapter 2. The story would have been over if Jonah had not come to this place of prayer. If he had not come to the lowest place. You see, Martin Luther, when he... Uh, began the Protestant Reformation by nailing the 95 theses on the Wittenberg Cathedral. You know what that first thesis said? It said this, Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. He said the whole Christian life is marked by repentance. First and foremost, when we trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, we turn away from the old person that we once were and we lay hold of Jesus by faith and say, I'm not trusting in anything else. I'm not chasing anything else. Jesus, you are my Savior. You are my Lord. Only you can rescue me. That is repentance and faith. But then our Christian life is marked by daily repentance and faith. The gospel is how we are saved and it's also how we grow. Day after day, the whole Christian life is one of repentance. And Jonah comes to this place here of realizing, I am a dead man apart from the mercy of God. And I have received his mercy, and now I'm ready to go and proclaim his message. You see, you can't preach of a grace that you haven't received. And you will not preach of the mercy of God unless you are actively enjoying it. And so Jonah finally gets to this place and you see what happened. The word of the Lord came to him and he said, arise and go. And then you have this beautiful response from Jonah. This is what prophets are supposed to do. This is what children of God are supposed to do. His actions mirror perfectly the command of God. God says, arise and go. And Jonah arose and went according to the word of the Lord. Do you feel that? what should have happened the first time. But praise be to God that he's the God of second chances and third chances. He's the God of fresh starts and new beginnings. It's true of every one of our stories. We have to taste that mercy before we're ready to proclaim it. As I think about this idea of uh, of the turning that's required of us, um, first when we trust in Jesus, but also every day after that as we follow him, I was thinking about a conversation I had recently Uh, Through a series of events, my wife Erin and I got to have dinner with my high school Spanish teacher, which was a lot of fun. Came over to our house for dinner, and uh, and she's a really sweet lady, and she loves the Lord. And she was talking about uh, throughout her teaching career, she always was really hesitant to talk about her faith because it was frowned upon at our school um, to to share your your religious beliefs. It wasn't a Christian school, and. and she always wrestled with that. And she was talking about how when she retired a few, a few uh, years back, um, she said that the Lord, just in her time of prayer, her time of scripture reading, was just giving her this boldness and this courage. 
It was like she had let go of something, which was a good thing, her teaching career. I'm thankful for that. But she had stepped into this new season, and the Lord was filling her with just courage and boldness by His Spirit. And she shared this verse with me from Proverbs 28, verse 1. She said, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. She goes, Michael, it's the greatest thing. I'm bold as a lion now. She was telling me how she went to go get her car repaired at the shop, and she was like, the Lord gave me an opportunity to talk about Jesus with my mechanic, and I did, and it was awesome, you know, and like, and, and she is uh, so inspiring to me, and she's like, it doesn't always go well, right? Like, there's times where it's like, okay, it's all right that you're not ready to hear this. Like, I shared the message. I still want to be in touch with you. I'd love to talk to you about it more, um, but I was so inspired and convicted by my Spanish teacher a couple weeks ago. Because she had experienced this turning of letting go of, hey, here are the things that I'm holding on to. I'm worried about my reputation. I'm worried about how this person's going to perceive me. I'm thinking about all these different things. And she was saying there's this turning that God has brought about in her heart and life. And she is ready to be his messenger and proclaim his message. It's a beautiful thing to watch. I was thinking about it in my own life this way. It's a way that you guys can pray for me. I, uh, alongside my wife, Erin, we have this opportunity to be God's messenger in the lives of our three little boys. And one of the best moments in the day to do this is at bedtime. And so they're little, so right now it's like Jesus' storybook Bible and a chance to sing together and, and praying together. But if I'm honest, when 6.30 rolls around and I've had a long day, I'm just like dunking those kids in the bath and trying to brush their teeth real quick and putting jammies on them and getting them in bed. Just don't come out of your room. Like that is, that is where our hearts are on many days. And uh, as I was reading through this and praying through this, I was convicted about the fact that, man, I'm going to have to let go of some things in order to embrace God's call to be his messenger. There's some things that I like to hold on to the way I want to spend my time, my own comfort, my schedule. There's some things that, um, that I hold on to so tightly and the Lord is calling me towards repentance, towards turning, saying, would you just let go of those things? I have something better I'm trying to give you. Do you feel that? That when God calls us to repentance, He's not trying to take something from us. He's trying to give us something. More of Himself. The joy that comes from walking with Him closely and partnering with Him in His work. You see that our journey into God's missionary heart, it's marked by powerful turning, beginning in the heart of the messenger so let me ask you, in what ways are you running from God's call on your life today? Where do you need to turn? Where do you hear his voice coming to you a second time saying, it's time to turn around? He's so patient with you. He wants to work alongside you. He wants to empower you to be a part of his work in the lives of your family members, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers. Would you turn around and watch him work powerfully. Not only does this turning happen in the heart of the messenger, the message itself is about turning. So let's take a look at this together in verse 4. Did you catch this? It says, Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Let's pause there for just a moment. We have eight words here in the English. It's only five words in the Hebrew. This is not a great sermon. I mean, this is like the bare minimum. And we don't know if Jonah said more. It's possible this is a summary of his message, but I wouldn't put it past the guy. 
Like when you read in chapter 4, he might have literally just walked in there and been like, this is all I've got. I delivered the message. Now I'm going to go to the side of the hill and just watch this place burn. Because if you guys don't, turn around. And uh, so I don't know where Jonah's heart was. I don't know what all he said. But this is the summary that we have. And I just want us to see that even with Jonah's reluctant obedience, God does something so amazing here. This is a greater miracle than what happened with the fish. If you're still tripped up on the fish, I understand, but this is actually more outrageous, what's about to happen here in verse 5. So look at this. This is what happens. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Look at what God does through the power of his word. I just want us to think about this for a second. This phrase, yet 40 days, I've been kind of chewing on this this past week. Why, why would God even send this message? If he just wanted to wipe out Nineveh, you don't send the message ahead of time. You just bring the hammer, right? He could just totally wipe them out and obliterate them. He sends the message because he's merciful. He wants them to turn. He says it this way in the book of Ezekiel. He says, if I can find it, he says that he does not delight in the death of the wicked. Ezekiel 33, 11, As I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Do you see the heart of God on display in this story? This is not a story primarily about Jonah. He's not the hero, in case you're wondering. God is the one who does all the work here, and he uses even his stubborn child, just like he does in our lives. He's the God of second chances. He says, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He's a God who delights to show mercy. He's giving them a chance to repent. He's giving them a chance to turn around. And it's interesting, that number 40 all throughout the Bible, it's a number of trial and testing. If you think about Noah, in the days of Noah, when the flood came, there were 40 days of rain. It's a time of testing and trial. You think about the people of Israel wandering throughout the wilderness for 40 years, or Jesus in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights being tempted by Satan. He obeyed in every place that we have failed. This number for 40, it's, it's a number of testing. What God is waiting to see is, will they respond with humility and repentance? Or will they respond with stubbornness and hard-heartedness? And the question for all of us is the same. When God's word comes to you, when it comes to you a second time or a third time, will you respond with humility to his simple message to you? Or will you continue in unbelief and hard-heartedness? He's a God who delights to show mercy. It's a very simple message. And what happens here is so stunning. The people of Nineveh believed God. I just want us to think about this real quick. We touched on this a couple weeks ago. The Ninevites... And really, the Assyrians have some of the most violent stories from their history of any nation we're aware of. And Peter summarized it well by talking about war crimes against the people of God over the past, or a couple weeks back. I mean, I could go into just like blood-curdling details of what this nation did to uh, their enemies, but it was just an assault on human dignity. It was gory. It was torturous. It was... Um, 
it was mocking. I mean, it was just, it was ugly. And, uh, and this was a relentlessly violent people. And yet, if you read any uh, biblical scholar or historian and you, you, you ask the question, what was it that prepared the hearts of the Ninevites to respond in this way? To the powerful word of God. Yes, Jonah proclaimed the message of God and they heard God's word, which is so it's powerful enough to turn any of our hearts. But also, God had been working behind the scenes. You'll read about famines and, and signs in the natural world. There were, uh, there were eclipses. There's one eclipse in particular that history records in which the people of Nineveh, the Assyrians would have interpreted as our king is about to be overthrown. And so when this wild-eyed prophet comes walking in who smells like fish and vomit, who knows what he looked like, this crazy-looking guy comes and says, you have 40 days and this place is about to be turned upside down. The people of Nineveh believe God. We don't know necessarily if they all became converted and they become worshipers of Yahweh. That is what happened in chapter 1 with the sailors. We know that God can do that. We know that his word is that powerful. But we know for sure is God's word and God working behind the scenes brought about repentance and social reform, turning from their evil ways and from their violence among a people that nobody would have expected this. I mean, Jonah almost died in the water and also in the fish's belly. But when he walks into Nineveh and says, you have 40 days, and this place is going to be flipped upside down, this place is going to be overturned, everyone would have guessed that he would have died. I mean, that was like a death wish for him to walk in there and proclaim that message. Or at the bare minimum, you expect him to be thrown out of the city and, and rejected. But instead, the people are ready to respond. And it's a very simple message. I just want to invite us to consider what this means in our life that God is able to work in miraculous ways through his very simple message being proclaimed because his word is that powerful and he's working behind the scenes. Think about the message that you and I have been given. If you are in Christ today, you have been made new by the finished work of Jesus on the cross and you have been sent out as his ambassador, as his witness. And the message that we've been given, Paul summarizes it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. It's very simple. He says, now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Hear how simple this is. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared. Jesus is alive. And, and what Paul is saying here is this message is very simple, and the real question mark is, are you going to deliver it? Are you going to finally proclaim it? He says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That word for power, it's dunamis. It's the same word we get dynamite from. The power's in the message. Are you going to deliver it? That's the question. He's going to do all the heavy lifting. He's already even preparing people's hearts. It's just the only question is, are you going to deliver the mail? And as I have been wrestling through this and praying through this this week, friends, I've just been reminded of all throughout church history, starting with the early church, this simple message about turning, God has used profoundly to save sinners. 
If you look at Peter's proclamation in Acts chapter 3, at the end of talking about Jesus dying for the forgiveness of our sins and rising again, as offensive as that is, nobody wants to hear that they're a sinner in need of a Savior, and yet it's the hope of the whole world. Peter proclaims that and then says in Acts 3.19, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Do you hear that? He's saying when you turn away from your sin and you lay hold of Jesus by faith, He is giving you something so much better than what you're giving up. You get to enjoy the times of refreshing and, uh, and the, uh, the joy that comes from knowing Him. That's what's available. That's what He's inviting you into. Paul says it this way. He describes his ministry in Acts chapter 20. He says, I testified both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, God uses a very simple message to save. It's all about Jesus and what he has done. He came and lived a life of perfect obedience to his Father, and he died on the cross to save sinners like you and me, and he is alive today, and by faith in him, you can be saved. May we be people who are messengers whose hearts have been turned to God and day after day are remembering his mercy and we're proclaiming this simple message because the people of Nineveh believed God. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Who is it that you have decided, man, this person is just too far. They are not going to be able to turn. If God can turn the Ninevites with Jonah's half-hearted proclamation of five words, he can turn the heart of your family member, your friend, your neighbor, your coworker that you've been praying for and wanting to share the message with. I just have to share a quick story. I had the chance a couple of weeks ago to, to, um, to preach at a good friend's wedding, one of my childhood best friends. And a lot of my friends from growing up were there. And it's a lot of guys, uh, many of them, I've always thought would, would want nothing to do with Jesus. And I've almost just said no for them. Like, I don't really want to bring this up. They don't want to hear from Preacher Mike in our little side conversation about the gospel. They're going to hear it at the wedding message, and I'll just save it for that. Um, and there have been so many opportunities over the years where it's like, I just don't know if they want to hear it. Like, uh, I'm just not going to proclaim this to them. And finally, I delivered the message. As simply and clearly as I know how, I explained that Christ died for our sins and that he rose again, that he's alive. And anyone that turns to him can be forgiven and saved. And, and the response was beautiful. Like I had guys coming up to me that I would never expect. I had said no for them in my heart and in my mind. And they're like, Michael, thank you so much for what you shared. I want to talk about that more. I want to meet up when we get back to Houston. And I just want to share with you, I'm not the hero of that story. I'm a lot like Jonah, right? Like it. Like, there have been so many times where I'm like, no, Lord, I'm not going to proclaim this. I'm not going to proclaim this. And his word came to me again and again and again, saying, Michael, arise and go. And for some of us in the room, I would say for all of us in the room, he's issuing the same invitation to you. He's coming to you saying, here's a fresh start. Here's a new beginning. Would you taste my mercy and would you go and proclaim it? It's a very simple message, but it has the power to save. So we see the powerful turning that God accomplishes in the heart of the messenger embedded in the message. But let me close with this. We see powerful turning in this story in the hearts of these hearers who are ready to respond, ready to turn. Let me read back through verses 6 through 9. It says, The word reached the king of Nineveh, 
And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. I just want us to see how ridiculous this response is. It's just unbelievable how God moves. All of these words highlighted, sackcloth, ashes, sackcloth, uh, let them neither taste food or water. If you give up drinking water, as my medical professional friends in the room can attest, you have like three days. And these people are saying, my, our life is over if God does not turn. Like, we believe his message, and apart from his intervening grace and mercy, we have no hope. Our financial future, we've given up on that. Even our sackcloth, or even our animals, our cows, have sackcloth and ashes on them. They're not eating anything. Like, our hope is not in our 401k. It's not in our bank account. It's not in our financial plan. Like, we are saying, God, unless you come and intervene, our life is over. Do you see how ready they were to respond to this message? This is the language of real turning and repentance and mourning over sin. And did you hear what they said? The king said, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. The Ninevites did not have a very good messenger who was commending to them the merciful heart of God, the Lord who's gracious and merciful. He just came in there and said, you got 40 days and you're all going to die. And yet God moved that mightily. You know what Jesus says about this? Jesus, in his, in, his, uh, in his day when he was preaching to the crowds, people were asking him for a sign. And he says an evil and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but no sign is going to be given to you except the sign of Jonah. He says just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, incidentally Jesus affirming the historicity of Jonah, then he says, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. And he says, the men of Nineveh will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. If God can use Jonah, he can use you and me. If God can use a half-hearted prophet who just reluctantly obeys and delivers kind of the bare minimum message and God works this, this just wild social reform in Nineveh, perhaps even more than that, but certainly not less than that. They turn from their wicked way. Then God, through his message of the gospel that he's given us, can move in the lives of the people that he's given us to love and he's sent us to. I want us to see that there is a truer and a better Jonah who has come. That Jesus Christ came, and he didn't just reluctantly preach to us. He didn't just reluctantly share the message of God. He came proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it's not that he just was hoping that we would all not listen to him, like Jonah. He, had, he saw the crowds and he saw that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion. He was moved to pity. Jesus came 
that you and I could be saved. He came and extended the mercy of God to us, proclaimed this message to us. And He's inviting us to receive that mercy and to be sent out on His mission. That we would experience a powerful turning in our hearts. That we would proclaim a message of powerful turning. Turning away from the idols of our culture and the things that we chase and worship. Letting go of those so that He can give us something better. And that is relationship with Himself. The joy of knowing our Creator and our loving Father through our Savior Jesus Christ. If you have never trusted in Jesus, would you hear His call today inviting you to turn? Let go of those things. And would you embrace all that He is calling you to? Would you trust in Him? Trust your life to Him? He alone can save. He alone can forgive. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And brothers and sisters, if you know Jesus, as your Savior, would you hear His Word coming to you a second time, saying, arise and go? Would you, would you live into that continual repentance that we're called to? Of, yes, Lord, I hear Your voice, and You're turning my heart, and I want to go and proclaim Your simple message as You give me opportunities with the people in my life. Because what you will see is He is more committed to people responding to His message than you or I ever could be. He's preparing their hearts even now. May we be people who go and proclaim the message, who embody it like our Savior, Lord Jesus, but also who proclaim it and deliver it faithfully, that He may be glorified and that many would come to trust in Him. Amen? Let me pray for us. So Father, I, just, I say thank you. We say thank you for how patient you have been with us. I'm so much like Jonah where I run away from you and I'm so reluctant to obey your commands. Thank you that you keep coming for me, Lord. You come after us. Your heart is moved with compassion and you showed it once and for all when you sent Jesus who was moved to pity, who laid down his life for us, who was three days and three nights in the belly of the earth that we might be saved. He died and rose again. Jesus, our hope is in you. Would you fill us afresh with your spirit? Would you help us to trust you? Would you help our hearts to turn that we may proclaim this message about turning, that the people in our lives that you've sent us to may come to know you, that times of refreshing may come from your presence, O oh Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen.